We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hey friends, and welcome back to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 337. Our guest today is a Princeton University graduate. She is a lifelong rider and trainer and a U.S. Equestrian Federation R-rated judge, freelance journalist, and an autism advocate. Her resume includes extensive show hunter and jumper experience. She has served on the USHJA Board of Directors and the USEF National Breeds and Disciplines Council. She lives with her family in Pennsylvania and in Wellington, Florida. Personally, I have seen her at so many top venues as a judge, and I just thought her opinion means so much for the industry, and the amount that she gives back to the industry, I think, is just very admirable. So without further ado, please welcome our guest today, Sissy Wicks. Hi, Sissy. Hi, Bethany. How are you? Doing well. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. I'm so excited to chat. I would love to hear how you first got started in the horse world. Wow, that was back in the dark ages. Um, <laughs> I, my mother rode. I grew up riding uh, at the age of three years old, I began, and I grew mm. up riding at Derby Down, which is oh, wow. Louise Serio, now Serio's farm, but back then it was her mother, Mary Warner's farm. And um, I was smitten at a very young age and and rode all of my life, went, went away to boarding school, went away to college, never rode then, um, but always seemed to come back to it. Spent a, actually spent a lot of time trying not to be a professional in this business, but somehow gravitated back to it all the time, much to my father's chagrin. <laughs> um, and I've done really a, a lot of iterations of the equine business. I worked at the jockey club at one point. I've run a commercial breeding operation for thoroughbreds. I have uh, been in the hunter jumper equitation world for a long time and been a publisher of a a equestrian based magazine, the plaid horse. So I've done a lot of things. Now I do a lot of governance, a lot of judging training, and I'm still here. I'm still loving it and still very, uh, very appreciative of the fact that I have made a living in something that I'm truly passionate about, which a lot of people can't say. So I, mm-hmm. I feel very, very lucky. What do you think caused the different, you know, like seasons and roles within the, within the industry? Because I, I feel like that's kind of the beauty of the of the industry that we're in is that you know, for, for a lot of us fortunate enough, we can be a part of it for decades. And so um, where did you, was there like a certain reason that you kind of went from different types or or different involvements in the industry? Really just what was going on in my life. I have four children. Mm -hmm. I didn't at one point in time decide I just didn't want to be in the barn all the time. So I went and commuted to New York. I was living in New Jersey at the time, went and commuted to New York and wore dressed like a real human being every day and, and worked on Madison Avenue at the Jockey Club as a supervisor. And then I had my first child and ended up back at home. 
And then I went and worked for Tim and Michelle Grubb at High Hopes Farm in New Jersey, mm. which was a fabulous experience. And I could do it part time. And and in the meantime, I had another child. So it, it being able to move in and out of this industry and all of its various le- levels and layers has been a godsend in terms of what else is going on in my life. So through the birth of four children and um, through really just trying to figure out, it's <laughs> still trying to figure out what it is I want to do, what I want to be. Um, at this point in my life, it's it's what do you want your legacy to be and how do you want to mm. spend the, the last third of your life, which is something that is, I think, significant and warrants a lot of thought. And I think with my perspective, having been in a lot of aspects of, of the equine industry and, and worn a lot of different hats, you gain a perspective where you think, Maybe you can see the evolution of things. Maybe you can change things for the better. And maybe you can give back to a world that has given me and my family so much. So a lot of what I do now is centered around governance. It's centered around, I still love to ride. I still love to train. I still get an enormous kick out of of competing and and watching competitions. And I think I'm an adrenaline junkie that way. But it's nice to be able to to give back and, again, to gain some perspective um, and, and maybe see how we can improve and guarantee sustainability in this world, which I think at this moment in time is is struggling mm-hmm. in terms of not only social license, but the cost of competition, the cost of animals, we're pricing pricing ourselves out, the availability of open space. I mean, it's it goes on and on and on. Definitely. Um, you've been vocal around some of the challenges and issues with hunter and equitation judging and, you know, being a hunter jumper trainer myself have definitely seen, you know, that part of the world maybe having some challenges. I, I So I'd love to talk about that. But before we do that. Tell me a little bit about what you personally look for in a good hunter round. Uh, I think a good hunter round is certainly qualified by by athleticism, by movement, by style of jump. It's not. I mean, is it a beauty contest? Yes, of course it is. But they the horses also have to have the the basic requisites of athleticism and of style and of movement. And then those are the basic building blocks. And then from there, we can go into the nuances of what makes one round better than the next. And certainly mm-hmm. we're talking about this in generalities. Um, so we're, I'm talking about these attributes based on the fact that all the horses are going around and and without flaw, without error. Yeah. So this is just is how, what the evaluative process is. Right. In your opinion, what makes a good hunter judge? I think a good hunter judge is somebody who has a lot of experience. And mm-hmm. I work on a task force right now, USCF task force, um, with some very, very experienced and talented people, one of whom is Fran Dottley, who has been doing this a long time. Yeah. and is actually the the chair of our education committee at the USHJA. I'm on the board of directors at USHJA, which is the United States Hunter Jumper Association. And Fran, in one of our first meetings, said something that I, I, I should just get tattooed somewhere. 
<laughs> um, we are trying to make horsemen into judges, not judges into horsemen. Yeah. So wow. the idea is we take people who have basic knowledge or actually extensive knowledge, extensive experience, who understand the attributes of a good hunter or a good equitation rider. And we teach them how to judge a class. And that involves how to manage a judge's card, how to order a class, how to do some things that are as pedestrian as working the loudspeaker or working the walkie-talkie, interacting with other judges, interacting with the announcer, organizing your day, that kind of thing. So we're not trying, well, well, our educational processes at the moment are not addressing the what people should know as a foundation of knowledge, which is Mm -hmm. what makes a good jump, what makes a good mover. And it's not, it's not like learning science. It's subjective, right? It's like looking at a work of art or looking at a skater or gymnast, gymnastic person, you know, whatever we're talking about here, that is another subjective field. And the basic movements are there, but what makes one better than the other? And that is what our system needs to address and, and needs to promote those that have the experience to go into a premier horse show and understand what they're looking at. Definitely. And yeah, I mean, for, for anyone who's spent time at a show, we've seen people and you know, myself included who may get upset with the judging and it seems to be a bit of a growing occurrence. So what, what is contributing to kind of this mass frustration that many competitors and trainers are kind of feeling around judging in the hunter ring? I think there are a few things. One is the advent and the proliferation and the ubiquitous nature of, of video. Mm-hmm. So it used to be, back in the dark ages when I started doing this, that a horse would go in and people would observe and there would be, did he do this? Did he do that? Why didn't he win? Trying to uh, interpret the decisions of the judge. I think he swapped. I think he didn't swap. I think Mm -hmm. he hit a jump. I think he didn't hit a jump. And don't get me wrong. There have been complaints about judging and there has been hand-wringing and jumping up and down and accusations of bias, et cetera, et cetera. But now with, with video, We can watch rounds over and over again. We can pick apart horses and then we can share it with our friends and get everybody (laughs) really wound up. Um, And there's nothing like a screen and a keyboard to give people a lot of courage and a lot of expertise to scream and yell about something that maybe they should just take a beat and, and think about for a minute. Mm -hmm. So I, I think, I also think that there are so many horse shows right now used to be that we would horse show from, uh, we'd go to winter horse shows to qualify. This is let's let's say the 80s. Winter horse shows to qualify that were horrible. And then we would move into the spring and, and summer and fall to indoors. And our horses would have a break and we'd start up again the next year. Well, now you you can, if you choose to, you can horse show 12 months a year. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of horse shows and therefore there needs to be a lot of judges. And I understand that finding judges for horse show managers is a problem. Um, and we certainly have to keep our judging pipeline, our educational and licensing pipeline moving so that 
we can keep new and, and uh, educated judges coming into the system, but we have to also make sure that those processes, those educational licenses, licensing processes are adequate. Definitely. If, if someone, a part of the horse show, a trainer is for, for someone listening who maybe doesn't know the process, if someone's frustrated with a judge or, or the outcome of a class, what is the process that they can go about doing? If you have a, a, a problem with the way a class was judged, and if you're wondering why you ended up where you ended up, then you may contact the steward. So you may go to the announcer or go to the office and say, where's the steward? And now the stewards have to wear a, a name tag, a, a lanyard with their name tag or something on them that says steward. You can go and find them and say, I would like to talk to the judge about the outcome of class X because I really don't understand why my horse got what he got. And then with the steward, you and, and at the judge's uh, deemed time and place and uh, situation. So usually I wait till the end of the day. The steward and this person approach you and they ask you, why did my horse not place or whatever it is? And it's so interesting if you if you sit there and talk to somebody and you look at your card and you say, I really thought that this happened at this jump and that's why your horse got the score he got or didn't get a ribbon or whatever. Mm-hmm. What did you think? Oh yeah, well, yeah, he did jump that a little funny. Or yeah, I, I thought he was a little high there or I thought he hung a leg there or I thought maybe it was a little out of shape. And so when you have that conversation with somebody, for me anyway, nine times out of 10, they'll say, okay, I understand what you saw. I didn't see it, but I understand what you saw. I wasn't sitting where you were sitting. I had no one sitting in the judge's booth, but the judges. I didn't see it on video. I looked at the video six times, but the video is not usually in with the judges. Mm -hmm. So I understand you had a different perspective. This was your opinion. And most of the time they might not agree, but they will respect the fact that you actually had a reason for doing what you did. Right. So I encourage people that if they, if they're not just angry, but they have a legitimate question, then go and talk to the judge. I mean, I mm-hmm. don't hold it against anybody. Um, I don't want to be yelled at. I don't want to be threatened. And that's happened to me. But a constructive conversation is fine. And also, if if people tend to calm down, because we throw scores now at a lot of the horse shows, and when somebody gets a score coming out of the ring, it just, at times, it's, it's like an ignition switch. And they're angry, and they want to stomp their feet and yell. Right. Hours pass. Tempers tend to calm themselves. People take a breath, maybe watch a video, maybe talk to other people, and the incendiary moment dissipates and you know they go on with their day. But the people that really want to have a conversation, a constructive conversation, it's fine. Uh, go and do it and, and educate yourself and, and ask the judge why they did what they did. Unfortunately, in our system now, there is no feedback, um, which is something that maybe we can address certainly not next year, but down the line. And I think that would be helpful for everybody because I think transparency and, and, uh, and having to, to be responsible for your actions are good things. Mm-hmm. In the summer months, I feel like a lot of places that we horse show also tend to have lots and lots of rain. And it's always the worst when you have you know a hot summer day with a bunch of rain and you also have a bunch of rain gear and it's just like the worst feeling in the world being hot and raining and disgusting and gross but 
I want to talk about whether or not equestrian because if you have not tried their breeches oh my gosh I am putting you on to a life-changing material that is absolutely so revolutionary and I feel like everyone needs a pair if not several whether or not equestrian breeches first of all they are waterproof and I know when I say waterproof, you say, okay, Bethany, like maybe like a little sprinkle or like get some water on them and it's fine. No, they actually, their fabric passed Rain Test AATCC 35 I don't know what that means, but after looking it up, it tests, it really like measures the resistance to the penetration of water by impact. I, again, read this, read this on their website, looked it up to actually see what the heck it was. Still didn't believe it. So I have a couple pairs and I put them on, went right to the barn, into the wash rack, and I ran the hose over my leg. And I was absolutely shocked how the water literally ran off my leg. Normal, you know, like riding breeches, not to mention they fit so well. They're so stretchy, they're so flattering. There's a zipper in the back, um, you know, right below your waist um, band that literally holds your phone so you don't have to like wear anything or have worry about your phone slipping out of your pocket. It's just like so well made. And to top it off, the fabric is not only comfortable, stretchy, incredible, it's literally rain resistant, which is just, I think, so revolutionary for our sport. So you've heard enough from me blabbering on. You need to go try them for yourself because I didn't believe it until I tried them for myself. So go visit their website. It's wonequestrian.com. So whether or not equestrian.com. Again, that's wonequestrian.com. Get yourself a pair of these breeches and tell me I'm wrong. I dare you. They changed my life and I cannot wait to ride in them in Florida and in Kentucky all summer. I mean, truly, thanks to whether or not equestrian, rain does not have to freak you out anymore. So go check them out. You will not be sorry. What is what would be holding the the organization back from I, I'm, I'm guessing just logistics, but holding holding judges back from having a system where they where the cards get published for for people to go look at any time of how they did on any class? So we don't have scribes, unlike the dressage world. And right. let me just back up a few steps here. This judging task force, we've talked a, about a lot of things and a lot of things in uh, that we can specifically accomplish now so we can try to fix the system as it exists. And then also concepts of going into the future. What can we do to overhaul this system? What can we do to modernize it, to increase technology, to help us be transparent and consistent? And that is one of the things that we've talked about. We can't get it done right now because it is a mm-hmm. huge systemic change. So right now, our cards, we, we, we do them ourselves. Some people have really good handwriting. Some people have te- terrible handwriting. But if you look at the card, you're going to see a bunch of symbols. You're not, I, I happen to use words a lot because I'm a, I like to write and I, it, it's something that's comfortable for me. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't use any words at all. It's all symbols. So if you looked at a judge's card, you would have no idea. It wouldn't do yeah. you any good. And also if I write 
down something that helps me recognize a horse. And that's all it is. It's a mnemonic situation. Just help me remember. Okay, I'll, I'll make a symbol or I'll write a word that'll make, make me remember that bay horse that came in 32nd. Um, and if you read that word, you're going to think, what the heck did she call my horse? Yeah. So there's there's a lot of reasons that it just doesn't make any sense right now. But if we had scribes, as the dressage world does, where the judge can watch and can comment as they're watching, I think that that would quell a lot of the anger that would explain a lot of the scores and the placings. And I think ultimately that would would be a great thing for the sport, but it's not, mm-hmm. it can't happen tomorrow. Right. What do you think is something most exhibitors maybe misunderstand about judges? I think that it's easy uh, to assume that everybody sees the same thing. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is where you're sitting how, where in the ring, where the jumps are set, how high you're sitting, how low you're sitting is perspective is everything. And at some point in time, you have to look down at some, again, we don't have scribes at some point in time, we have to look down and write something down or, you know, whatever it is, sneeze, whatever it is. And you might miss something. You might miss a horse Mm -hmm. step off a lead for a step. Um, You might miss it start to trot in its its circle at the end of the ring and cross canter. I mean, you might, there's a myriad of things you might miss. And I think it's important for everybody to understand that the judges are doing the best job they can do. Nobody wants to sit up there all day long and do a bad job. Mm-hmm. We're all, we're all trying to get it right. We're all working a long day, um, multiple long days in a row at, at most shows. And we're trying to call it as we see it and pay attention and not miss anything. But unfortunately we're human and we make mistakes. The other thing is not everybody agrees on what, who should win. So um, some judges have are very hard on, let's say rubs. Um, Mm -hmm. Some judges are very hard on bad movers. Um, I'm not one who loves a a terrible mover, a really climby mover. Mm -hmm. But some people, I think, are more used to that and and don't uh, penalize that that as badly. Right. So it's 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 subjective. But yeah, I think that the the most important thing that we're trying to address here with this task force is to make sure that the person sitting in the booth at whatever level horse show, and this is not exclusive to premier shows. It is inclusive of all hunter jumper or sorry, hunter equitation sport, the person who is sitting in that booth should be educated and equipped and knowledgeable enough to be judging that level of competition. So if you're at a premier show and you walk in and you have either never heard of the judge or the judge's resume has never included competing at a premier show or judging a premier show, or um, we could go on and on with, with uh, resumes, then perhaps they aren't the person that should be sitting in there judging the highest level of the sport. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, there are so many shows and there are, there are judges being licensed multiple times a year through USCF. They do the licensing, um, but not every judge is equipped and knowledgeable enough and educated enough to judge every single show. Right. 
Yeah. Yeah. I know. I, I saw um, the current registration number and I think that's definitely one of the biggest challenges facing the current judging climate is really just supply and demand. I think there are about 461 judges and almost one, like I think about or over a thousand licensed hunter jumper uh, competitions throughout the year, which I mean, just numbers, that's got to be a huge challenge that, that you're facing now. Um, How do you, how do you go about, you know, creating that change, obviously you don't want to, there, there still are specific requirements for professionals to, to, you know, take part in the, the process of becoming a judge, but how do we kind of get to the point where, where there are more qualified judges? Well, what we like to do is to re-examine the mentor system, which exists right now, the mentor mm-hmm. judging program, and try to to continue it, it, it was created in order to streamline licensing people who are in the industry and qualified to to judge at a high level given their resume and their experience so we're trying to re-examine that to make sure that that it is and continues to be and perhaps even is increasingly convenient for top level trainers and riders to get their judges card so that it right now I'm afraid for many people it's a deterrent because our system is a deterrent because you have to do these educational processes which I think are certainly valid and then you have to have your small r there there are right now two levels of licenses small r and large r mm-hmm. so you first you start with your small r and then you graduate to a large r after two years of of well, within actually after two years and after having done a certain amount of, of judging requirements. So trying to fast track a path for qualified, again, trainers and riders to be able to obtain a license quickly and easily. It's, mm-hmm. it is, it's a difficult thing to do right now. It takes a lot of time. Right. Um, it's not that the process is difficult. It's the requirements and the time. Now, I think it's important to to understand that just like an educational system, not everybody starts in the same place. So some people might be ready to go to high school, eighth grade, ninth grade, whatever it is. And other people might be able to start in senior year of college. Mm -hmm. So there should be an educational system that is appropriate to each level of entry. So if you are aspiring to get your small R, you've shown locally, you want to you want to study study and 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 try to get into the pipeline and get licensed, that's great. You should start at the elementary level and move your way up slowly and educate yourself as you as you go. If you are somebody who is training and competing on at the premier and, and national level, you have a long resume, you want to be able to judge a few times a year, then that process could begin at a different place. That educational system could begin at a different place than the person who is, has very little experience. Right. Definitely. Yeah. I'm, um, Jeffrey Heslink is a member of my team and um, he's in the process right now. And even just like the logistics. What, what kind of, of obvi- team? Um, I, um, am a trainer with him. 
Oh, so okay. I'm, yeah, I'm Hessling Williams, Jacksonville. So I have our, all of our clients that are in the Jacksonville, Florida location, um, gotcha. train them on a daily basis, but he's in the process um, right now. And it's just logistically is so challenging because obviously we're at shows um, all year round. And so finding time for him to be able to, you know, step away and, and do that. It's, you know, at, at the top of the sport, um, it's something that he's been passionate about doing ever since he turned or even before he turned 25. But um, yeah, just like the, the logistics of getting through it are obviously necessary. But if you have kind of a, a, a very full-time program, that, that can be a challenge too. Yeah. And he's a great example of somebody that we would love to be a licensed official and we would yeah. love to be able to utilize it in championship formats and, mm -hmm. and, you know, at, at the, at the top of the sport, because that's where he operates. And, and when you walk in with your horse and you look over and you see Jeffrey in the booth, you think, boy, I really care what he thinks of this horse. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's Definitely. that feeling of, you know, this is going to be great. I can't wait. I hope he goes well, yeah. because if he does, this he he's going to know this guy knows what he's looking at yeah absolutely yeah. he has such like, an extreme attention to detail that um he's like known for so long that he's wanted to to be a judge and i know he's going to be so good at it it's just yeah it's it's definitely um it seems like the type of type of person that you'd want in the booth and he's he also i think is an example of when you are a judge it makes you a better exhibitor when yes. you when you sit in that booth and you wear those shoes for weeks, you know, however long it is, days, weeks, and you understand what that process is like and what that job is like and all that goes with it, I think that you are a better exhibitor and a better trainer because you understand the flip side of 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 the horse show experience. You know, totally. it's just it's one more hat you wear. And I think you're you become more educated and more sympathetic and it's, I think it's a great experience for a lot of people. Definitely. What would you say is something that you're passionate about in the industry that you feel like people either don't talk a lot about or don't know enough about? I think that there are a few subjects for me. Inclusion is one of them. And, and I don't mean inclusion. I mean, I mean, diversity, equity, inclusion. I think that's primary to all walks of life right now. But I also mean the inclusion in terms of the fact that I'm afraid this industry is just pricing itself out to people like me when I was a kid. I mean, my mm -hmm. parents never could give me the opportunities they gave me way back when today because of the price of our sport. And there, are, I understand that there are a myriad of, of um, elements that go into that in terms of why things cost so much. And we can start with the cost of, of feed and bedding and housing and the eating up of open space and all of those things. But I think the idea of how to, to, to make sure that our sport doesn't just die from and, and wither and become just a rich man's sport because there's no entry position. There's no way to get into the sport. Um, if we don't have the local barns, if we don't have the good local um, lesson programs and and quality of, of, of summer programs to get kids into this, then we're going to miss out on the next generation. And that that really bothers me. And, and it's something that USHJA talks about and USDF talks about and, you know, how to expand 
not only our membership, but our, our participant and fan base. So that, that's something that keeps me up at night a little bit. And right now my, my husband and I are commercial thoroughbred breeders and very involved with the racehorse and racehorse sales world and the social license to operate. That's such a catchphrase right now, but what's going on at Churchill and what went on at Pimlico and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the perception of the public of equine sport right now is frightening. And our horse shows, we can point the fingers at the racehorse people all we want. I mean, that, I think there, I believe that there are more catastrophic injuries in racehorses, certainly because the speed they're going and the, the surface they're going on. But we are not absolved of this microscope we are not absolved of really thinking long and hard about about what we're doing with these animals and what it looks like to the outside world and are we responsible and humane trainers and riders and and horse people and i think that we all have to think about it i mean every time this comes up on a call about horse welfare i say just drive into the horse show at 4 30 in the morning and look at the lunging ring and tell me mm-hmm. about how we're doing here because it's or at, you know at 12 o'clock in the 90 degree heat in Kentucky Mm. at people lunging and horses and white lathers. I mean, it's something that I think isn't easily addressed, but warrants discussion and warrants, unfortunately, rules and oversight and just the the community as a whole um, policing itself. And I hate that word policing, but we have to watch out for what we're doing and, and watch out for the horse and watch out for our future all at the same time. Definitely. Yeah, I think that that's a great point. Uh, Well, Sissy, thank you so much for taking the time and sharing a bit of your story. And I think it's incredible what you're doing for the industry. And there needs to be um, people just like you who are, um, you know, really up ahead of the industry and and giving it a voice and trying to work towards solutions to um to getting it at a better place. So thank you so much for all you're doing and I wish you all the best. Well, that's very kind of you. Thank you for having me on. All right, that is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much, and I will talk to you next week.